Welcome to Cosmos Country, where our reporters talk about dealing with climate change in rural and regional Australia. This week, Jamie Seidel and Dr. Glenn Morrison chat with Dr. Andrew King about our complicated climate systems and the weather patterns we're on a first-name basis with. They'll explore the potentially smoky cause of the wet years that saw floods devastate parts of regional Australia. Hello, everyone. This is Jamie Seidel for Cosmos Country. Today, we're talking about those names that seem to be on everybody's lips, El Nino and La Nina. And we're going to add several more, Enzo, Sam, and Mjo. Joining me today is another member of the Cosmos team, Glenn Morrison. So, Glenn, watching what's happening with the environment is more than just a passing interest for you. Can you tell us a little bit about what's caught your attention lately? Yeah, thanks, Jamie, and hi. Um, yeah, sure. I've been talking to people about uh, the wildfires in Australia of 2019-20. They, of course, dominated the news back then. 33 lives were lost, quite tragically. But at the time, there were huge clouds of smoke, so big that they could be seen from space. And it turns out, according to researchers from NASA, that smoke from the fires sparked the three wet years that followed for Australia. That brought widespread and record flooding to the country's north, northwest and the southeast, quite extraordinary reach of those systems. And a lot of regional areas were hardest hit. This more northern New South Wales comes to mind. Those systems that were producing that, those conditions are intensifying under climate change, according to some recent research from CSIRO, which may well mean a, a bit of more wobbly weather to come. And it seems our cousins in New York are experiencing the uh, same smoky fallout, this time from extreme wildfires in Canada and Alaska. Uh, so they're getting a taste of what Sydney and much of Australia went through in years back? Yeah, look, I was just looking at pictures on Reuters of uh, New York Bridge. It's quite apocalyptic, the density of the smoke over the harbour. People in Manhattan saying it's making it tough to breathe. And I'm not surprised looking at those pictures, but the smoke is so dense. I guess anyone with asthma or COVID, flu, any sort of lung complaint is really going to be feeling it today. This week, U.S. weather scientists from the uh, U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration have judged that the dreaded El Nino phenomenon has actually returned. And that comes hot on the heels of the report you were referring to earlier about the complex web of natural weather patterns being supercharged by global warming. Here with Glenn and I, to tease out what this means for us, is University of Melbourne climatologist Dr. Andrew King. Hello, Dr. King. Hello. It's a pleasure being here. First, can you explain to us what ENSO, the El Nino Southern Oscillation, actually is and why it's been drawing so much attention lately? Uh, the El Nino Southern Oscillation, or ENSO, basically describes um, the variation in conditions in the Pacific Ocean, variation in sea surface temperatures, and associated uh, atmospheric conditions. So when we have El Nino conditions as are forming at the moment, we tend to have um, very uh, warm sea surface temperatures in the central and eastern tropical Pacific. That has effects on the atmosphere as well. It moves around where the low pressure is. It moves where kind of preferential zones of rainfall are, not only in the Pacific Basin, but also further afield, which is why we we care about things like um, El Nino and La Nina. I was surprised to find out how 
bigger geographic extent the Enzo system operates over. Like I've I've heard people talk about currents off the west coast of Peru um, affecting ocean temperatures, and that affects the cycling between there and Indonesia. Can can we get a sense of the geography of this? How how big is it? Because El Nino and La Nina events, it's a coupled atmosphere ocean phenomenon. They tend to last quite a few months, and that means they can have quite major effects on regional climates. Um, an El Nino event, that means we have um, higher pressure than normal in one area of the world and lower atmospheric pressure in another area. It can allow floods to form where we've got more low pressure and it can allow droughts to to build where we've got unusually high pressure so their persistence allows for quite problematic um, extreme events in, in different parts of the world and i'll just also quickly jump in there and say that i was reading the other day that the actual area of the pacific is greater than the surface area of the planet mars so if you want to know why you know these weather extremes are so powerful and long-lasting that maybe helps put some sense of scale to the amount of air and water that's being affected by all of this. For anyone who's flown from Australia to, to the US or, or uh, elsewhere in the Americas, you know it takes a long time. It's a very long way to go. So it's a, it's a vast ocean. So uh, we see effects of El Nino and La Nina extending well beyond just the countries that neighbour the, P the Pacific Ocean as well. In explaining this process, I guess we'll be hearing some more ominous sounding names like Sam and M. Joe. Can you explain to us what they are and how they fit into this web of influences that ultimately produces a shift between El Nino and La Nina? The, the Southern Annular Mode, or SAM, is kind of describing the um, position of low pressure systems across uh, around the Southern Ocean and kind of associated wind patterns. So um, that means that over, say, Southern Australia, uh, particularly in winter, we might see more rainfall when we have a negative Southern Annular Mode, because it means we have more uh, frontal systems crossing places like Perth, Adelaide and Melbourne, and also Tasmania. Um, when we have a positive SAM, that's really describing how these low pressure systems move, sometimes move further south, so they kind of contract to being nearer uh, Antarctica. And it tends to mean sort of drier conditions in places like Perth, Adelaide and Melbourne. But it also tends to be associated with having higher pressure to the southeast of Australia, which actually can increase rainfall on the east coast of Australia. And you also mentioned the um, Madden-Julian Oscillation, or MJO, and that's um, kind of a different type of variability. It's on relatively short timescales, um, from one month to the next. It's kind of describing the movement of uh, kind of areas of more convection and stormy activity so it's not quite as simple as um adelaide following sam on twitter and uh, darwin following um mj no they're, they're all um all of these things have effects across almost all areas the southern annular mode not so much on northern australia 
as you were as you were talking, Andrew, I couldn't help but imagine like a, this sort of convective soup about to boil or starting to boil and and moving in all sorts of directions. An incredibly complex thing that will be hard to predict, and and no wonder the weathermen weather people get uh, get it mixed up so often. <laughs> yeah, the so. This is indeed like a really big challenge, and the Bureau of Meteorology produces um, obviously weather forecasts everyone is familiar with, but also um, outlooks on longer timescales, monthly seasonal outlooks. Well, this uses um, a model, but is really influenced by uh, projected conditions in the Pacific and Indian Ocean. Do we have an El Nino forming, and what does how, how does that progress? In the model and then what does that mean for australian climate conditions for the coming months so safer to put your money on the trots than on the weather and then i guess you've got coming in over the top of that the, the climate change influence which which is moving the system some in some direction do we understand where that's moving i was reading about the the recent research linking uh, an intensification of ENSO over since 1960, I think, via global warming. Can, what can you tell us about that? We, we've got this natural climate variability um, that we see around the world and it would be occurring even if we weren't influencing the climate. But we've warmed the planet through our greenhouse gas emissions. We've warmed the planet by over a degree Celsius to date. So as we warm the planet, we think that we're intensifying both El Nino and La Nina events and their links to rainfall and temperature anomalies around the planet as well. That's obviously concerning because we know that already El Nino and La Nina have quite big effects. And if we think that those effects are being magnified by um, human-caused climate change, um, that could be problematic. So there's projections for the for the remainder of the 21st century that if we continue to warm the planet, we should expect to see intensified El Nino and La Nina events. There is a little bit of research that suggests that if we were to slow down our greenhouse gas emissions and stop further warming the planet, then um, we might expect to see reduced intensity of El Nino and La Nina events. It's kind of complicated basically. <laughs> a good answer. It's, it's complicated. I'm, I'm wondering how that relates back to what we were talking about before, the triple La Nina that we've experienced, which has led to such widespread flooding. That apparently was caused by the smoke from the wildfires in 19, uh, 2019, 2020. How does that all work? And, it, and is this is this creating kind of a self-feeding monster in which Enzo intensifies because it's being warmed? We're now in a situation where we've got a lot of biomass on the ground from three wet years, which is likely to burn, especially if we have an El Nino coming on, and we'll get more fires sparking more changes. How, how does that work? The, the first thing I would say, um, having... Now I've studied meteorology and climate science for a few years, is we can rarely say one thing has caused another thing to occur. There was a recent paper that suggested that the, the bushfire smoke in 
you know, from the Black Summer fires of 2019, early 2020, may have contributed to the, the triple La Nina occurring. I don't, I don't think we could say that they caused the triple La Nina. We know that the climate system is complicated. If you do something in one place, it can have effects somewhere else. And it does seem in this case, huge amounts of smoke going into the atmosphere may have increased the chance of seeing consecutive La Nina events forming uh, in the central and east Pacific. We know that you know smoke particles can act as cloud condensation nuclei, which um, mean that we can have clouds forming in places that maybe wouldn't there wouldn't have been clouds forming otherwise. Because if you put clouds in, or, or cooler temperatures in one part of the world, that can also set off processes in the atmosphere that affect other parts of the world. It's also interesting in the sense that exactly how much um, particulate matter in the sky can affect the weather because of course there are events like the year without summer from I think it was 1816 where volcanic activity in North America and possibly Iceland caused you know um, winter to basically extend for a whole year in Europe and uh as a side effect, triggered the writing of books like uh, Frankenstein. So, yeah, you're right. It, 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 we, we know that, that smoke, volcanic ash clouds do have a great deal of potential to um, influence the weather. So uh, it, why would there be so much hesitancy to um, attribute smoke and I'm sure that people will be wanting to know what would the effect of the smoke in New York right now have on Europe in a month's time and so forth. That's a good question. I think being a, a climate scientist, you kind of learn that things are always a bit more complicated. I think we know that there's kind of all these complicated interactions going on. And with smoke as well, we know that it may well depend on um, the exact orientations of the winds and in the mid to upper levels of the atmosphere, where we have tropical cyclones and other weather systems as well. All of these things might then affect whether the smoke would, would affect what's going on in the central and east Pacific. It has to kind of get there from Australia. Whilst this is a really nice study that came out recently, it is only one study. So um, ba based on... Um, a specific climate model. So um, hopefully it sparks more work on how um, fires can interact with um, climate variability. Yeah, generally we know that smoke uh, has kind of direct impacts um, on cloud formation, but beyond that we have less confidence. And whilst we've understood for quite a while that volcanic eruptions have quite large effects on um, the weather and, and climate around the world. There's been a lot less research on how wildfires or bushfires affect the weather and climate around the world. And that's partly to do with the capability of the models that we use. It's only kind of recently that they've actually been able to simulate fire uh, properly, our climate models. And they don't, well, they, they don't simulate fire properly. They, they do something, but it's not, it's still not quite like the real world. So it, it's it's complicated and there's kind of more research needed in this area. 
we've come out of a very wet period now, an extended wet period, ideal for a lot of undergrowth to, to thrive and to get established. And now we're heading potentially into a drier than usual winter ahead of a hotter than usual summer. Um, where would Australia be placed right now, do you think? Do we really need to start paying attention to burn-offs and um, making sure those fire breaks are, are uh, ready? Yeah, so you're right. We've had this triple La Nina. We've had lots of vegetation growth over the last few years. So yes, if we do have El Nino forming, we are kind of set for probably drier than normal conditions across uh, Australia the next um, few months. So it does seem like there would be an elevated risk of fire. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite early to, to call that managing fires is a tricky thing. And um, there is, unfortunately, it looks like a heightened risk of worse fire weather in the coming months. Um, well, that's about it for time. Uh, thanks to my colleague, Glenn Morrison, and our special guest, Dr. Andrew King. And hopefully that's helped us understand what's happening with our weather a little bit better. That's all for today. And you've been listening to me, Jamie Seidel, on Cosmos Country, the podcast that goes beyond the city limits to explore how Australia's regions are experiencing climate change. I look forward to joining you again next time. You've been listening to Cosmos Country as part of the Greenlight Project, a look at how regional Australia is preparing for and adapting to climate change. For more information, visit the Cosmos website, cosmosmagazine.com.